somebody said, do you think you could take it up a notch this week? <laughs> I'll try. I actually have a little bit of a cold, but uh, it seems to be God is good. I was hacking and coughing last night, but I'm okay today, so thank God. Amen? Amen. When I was sitting in the pew there, I did remember, though, that I believe last time I was here, I fired Bria and Karen, didn't I? <laughs> remember? Because we went too far on the turnpike and had to turn around. I, I fired them, but they're back again. And when we left, my brother John, who was with them, said, I will be your, what did you say you would be for them? Their union representative or something? <laughs> so Karen brought her husband, Chris. So they're back with me. And it's a good thing that the guys came with us because um got four new tires on my car. It's about 10 years old. My husband got four new tires on it. And after they were put on, the guy said, it's recommended that you come back and have these retorked in a few days. Well, I didn't. So we're driving down the road and we hear these sounds, you know, these sounds. And so we had the, the guys, we pulled over. But before the guys had a chance to look and make sure the tires were still on the car and weren't going to come off, Bria and Karen both bent down and they said, we'll check the lug nuts. And they went like this with their fingers and they said, yeah, they're tight. So again, fired. Okay, so I bring them for directions and safety and it just goes nowhere. Um, but we are very glad to be back with you this morning. I know that a lot of you said you enjoyed and were convicted by, and praise God for that, amen? amen? Convicted by the message last time. And that is what the Lord always does. He first, believe me, He first works in the speaker. I'm telling you, when these messages are being birthed, you would not want to be my close friend or my husband when these messages are being birthed, because it gets rough. Because God deals with us, but that's what He should do, Right? And a lot of you have asked, even this morning, how can you keep in touch with us? Um, Hope and Passion Ministries is the name of my ministry. We're a 501c3 incorporated ministry. We are supplemental to the local church. You know, I am on staff at Norwin Alliance Church, but Hope and Passion Ministries is a separate entity. And if you want to keep in touch with us, uh, you can see Bria or Karen. We have cards with the address on there. We have email. I have a website, published devotions. I've published a few books that have devotions, daily devotions in them. You can get our CDs and messages. And um, the ministry is called Hope and Passion Ministries. And the vision statement is sharing a Jesus view of reality that produces true hope and passionate living. Amen? And would you say that that's what uh, you get from our messages? Hope in Jesus and passion to live for Him. It's just... Sometimes the, the name of the ministry comes across funny. I remember I was asked about a year ago to speak at a Lenten service in the Irwin community. And an older gentleman called me. Now, he was a man who didn't even have email, you know, and he was very hard of hearing. And he had never really heard of me before. And he called me up on the phone to ask me a little bit about myself. What are your credentials? What have you done? And it was a long process because, you know, at first I was a teacher and then I was a principal. And now I'm at the church and grew up Assemblies of God. But now I'm in the Alliance. And where would you go to school? And, blah, and we're going through all these details. And he's very hard of hearing. So I'm having to repeat myself many times. And then finally we come to, and what is the name of your ministry? And I said, sir, it's Hope and Passion Ministries. What? Hope and Passion Ministries. Hope and what? Passion! <laughs> passion! And I could kind of, what kind of ministry is that? Okay, it's, it's Passion for Jesus. So, that's exciting. But anyway, if you want to keep in touch with us, we, um, going to share a message this morning. Last time I was here, I felt a lot of people were really convicted and stirred up about the return of Christ. 
this morning. I hope you'll be convicted, but I also think this message is a message of great comfort. And how many of you know God does both for us? Amen? This message this morning is called, Is God Your Benefit Provider? How many of you ever worry about your benefits these days? (laughs) Okay, is God your benefit provider? And the message is going to come from the wonderful psalm, Psalm 103. So if you have your Bibles and you wanted to turn there, you can, but I'm going to introduce um, the topic first. So that's Psalm 103. Many of you will know it. It will look familiar to you when you get there. The question is, is God your benefit provider? Now, we are living in tumultuous days, are we not? There is all kinds of stuff going on over there in the Middle East, causing our gas prices to go up and down. Amen? People are dying. There's weird stuff going on in the world, and it's no surprise to us as Christians because over there in the Middle East is the seedbed of humanity. That's where God started it all, and that is where He's going to end it all. So keep your eyes on the Middle East because there's coming a day when Jesus is going to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives. In real space and real time, he's coming back. So there's a lot going on, tumultuous times. In terms of politics and economics, things are rough right now. Everybody is concerned about their benefit package. We know that health care is up in the air. People are nervous about it. Amen. And I remember a few years back when God called me out of Christian education. I'd been a Christian teacher and school principal, and I felt God calling me out of that kind of work and more into direct ministry. It was a scary time for me, and one of the biggest reasons was I knew God was calling me, but it was difficult for me to understand that God would take me, a type 1 insulin-dependent diabetic of 30 years, having to take shots and do 10 blood tests a day and all these medical supplies, that he would take me out of such a secure environment with such a great benefit package. I said, God, are you really doing this? He said, yeah, I want you out. I want you to try to grow Hope and Passion Ministries. I want you to work part-time. And and I I just thought, my benefit package, my life insurance, my uh, my health plan, you know, what's going to happen? Because my husband doesn't have a good benefit package. And God told me, Shelly... And I want to say this to all you guys, Highmark, Blue Cross Blue Shield, UPMC, Prudential, State Farm, whoever it is that you're counting on for your benefits, they're not really your benefit provider. They're just the vehicle that God may be using right now. Amen? And God said to me, Shelly, I am your benefit provider. And that has more to do than with just health insurance and life insurance and all that kind of stuff. He is the real benefit provider. God is the one continuum you have. So we need not fear when circumstances begin to change as long as we're hooked into God. Amen? How many of you remember it was like uh, the month of August in the year 2011, there was a 5.8 earthquake uh, based down in Virginia that we were able to feel up here. Okay, That was the first earthquake that I ever remember experiencing. And it sticks in my mind because it was either my first or second staff meeting at Norwin Alliance. You know, so I'm in my first ever meeting with my pastor and the secretary. So Pastor Bob and I are there and and Cindy is there. We're sitting, we're having a staff meeting. And at that point, I was still trying to put on a good front, like I was this conservative, nice, you know, easygoing kind of person. Okay, that's gone at Norman Alliance. Now they know what I'm really like. But we were all sitting there having a staff meeting. I was still a little bit nervous, you know. And uh, the earthquake hit. And I thought for a minute, you know, my ears were acting up and I was getting dizzy, you know. And then I realized... I think the ground's shaking. 
You know, and Cindy and I, being women, nervous women like we were, we started grabbing onto the seats. We're like all, all worked up. But what's happening? And I'll never forget Pastor Bob. He, he just sat there and he had his hands folded like this and he said, well, I do believe we've experienced an earthquake. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> wow, this is really something, you know. But that earthquake... What that did for me was I remember going home that day and posting to Hope and Passion's Facebook page a statement something like this that said, physical earthquakes are just a reminder that everything in this world, including this world, can be shaken. Amen? Everything. I mean, it blows your mind. You think about some people make a statement, you know, they'll, they'll say something they're sure about and they'll be like, I'm as sure about that as the ground I'm standing on. Oh, really? And you must not be very sure. Because a few shifts of the tectonic plates below you, and all of a sudden huge structures are falling down. You can't count on the earth. Okay? It is not stable. There is only one being who is stable, and His name is Creator God. Now, this gets even crazier. And this is one of my favorite scriptures, and I don't want to go off on too much of a rabbit trail about it, but I only have a few favorites. And this is one of them. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, 11, God gave John a vision of the future, and the Apostle John said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. So God is on the throne getting ready to judge the living and the dead. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from His presence and there was no place for them to go. Share that with your kids someday. Listen, earth and sky took off and ran. Now, whether God means that literally or metaphorically, the truth is still there. When God steps up to judge, the earth, which is undone by sinfulness as well, which is groaning, has to run and take off from His holy presence until it's remade. Amen? Do not count on the world. Don't count on the earth. It's not stable. The only thing that is stable is the God to whom everyone and everything answers. Amen? Now, if you want proof, because I like to always back everything I, I say with Scripture, I like to preach the Word, not what Shelley Prindle thinks, you would turn to Hebrews chapter 12, Verse 26, if you want to make a note of that for later, that's Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 26. Now, the writer of Hebrews there, what he's going to do is he's going to start off by referring to the time when God shook the earth when He gave the Ten Commandments. How many of you remember that at Mount Sinai? The smoke and the trembling? And the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12:26, it says of God, His voice shook the earth back then. But now, now catch this, and, and it, it amazes me how we Christians miss these most exciting verses in the Bible. It says, but now God has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removal of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Amen? Amen? Did you hear that? There's a differentiation between what can be shaken and what cannot be shaken. And the Bible says that everything that is created can be shaken. 
And I picture it kind of like, you know, you're, you're having a picnic on a summer day and you take that red and white checkered tablecloth with all the plates and everything on it and all the old hot dogs and burnt hamburgers and you kind of take the picnic, uh, the, the tablecloth and you shake it and everything comes flying off. The only thing that remains is the fabric of the tablecloth. Are you with me? And the Bible says that there's coming a day when God is going to shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, the whole universe. And everything is going to go except for one thing. That which is rightly related to God. Woven into God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we want to make sure that we are clinging to that which cannot be shaken. And that verse goes on to say there, Therefore, since you and I receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude unto God. Amen? This morning, if you never have, or if you already have, you need to grab hold of the fact that there is a kingdom that can be in you that absolutely cannot be shaken no matter what happens to your health benefits, no matter what happens to your job, no matter what the doctor tells you, no matter what goes on in the Middle East, no matter what health care changes come over the country, no matter who's president of the United States, no matter what kind of war breaks out. Are you with me? There is someone that you can depend on, an unshakable kingdom. So the question this morning is, is God your benefit provider? See, because He's bigger than all these things. Now, another scripture that I would go to to just introduce the message. We're just in the introduction here. Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33 is a psalm that corroborates the, the, the creation message in Genesis chapter 1. Psalm chapter 33, beginning around verse 6, the Bible says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Now look what it says, what it says next. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations he frustrates the plans of the peoples. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Amen? Hey, there's a lot of people may have a lot of weird plans in this world. And we think of these rulers and terrorist groups and all these things. You need to go to Psalm 33. There is one plan that is going to stand forever and that is the plan of God Almighty. And nobody, not anybody, can mess up that plan. Now, why? Because He created everything by His Word. It all belongs to Him. And Psalm 33 tells me that my proper posture should be a posture of awe before God. Now, that's convicting. Because listen, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Now, I want to ask you a question. Before you had your coffee this morning, was that your posture? I stood in awe of God. No, you know what I find? So many times I'm standing in awe of my circumstances. I'm waking up and I'm thinking about, you know, the tires about to fall off the car while we're going down the turnpike. Are we going to get to Fayette City? No. No, we're thinking about, what's my blood sugar? You know, what are the circumstances in my life? What's going on in the world? You know, can we pay this bill? What's, what's here? And we're, so many times we're standing in awe of what's going on. Or we're fearing people. 
or things happening in life. But the Bible says my posture ought to be stand in awe of God, like mouth agape open, like God, you are so awesome and so big. It's time to open up our Bibles and read not just the commandments, but read the bigger truth that He's going to shake everything. Amen? That He made everything out of nothing. That He's in control. It's time to get a very big picture of God because I promise you something. When you fear God as you should, all your other fears dissipate. Fear God alone and all your other fears will disappear. Amen? So it says to stand in awe of Him. And I love that it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens are made by the breath of His mouth, all their story hosts. Can you believe all God had to do was breathe out, was speak, and He made all this stuff? That's not, that's cool, but that's not nearly as cool in my book as what He's going to do with His breath in the end times. Okay, watch this. I find these really weird things in the Bible that just get, get me all excited. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. It's talking about the Antichrist who will be driven, of course, by the power of Satan. And it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, it says, Then the lawless one will come. That's the Antichrist, okay? Then the lawless one will come, whom the Lord Jesus, check this out, will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. And this Antichrist, driven by the power of Satan himself, will be a world uh, on the world scene as a world power and declare peace and safety for the world under the power of Satan. He will come up and try to take over God's kingdom. And how is Jesus going to destroy him? It doesn't say he gets out, you know, he gets this big giant army behind him or gets some kind of nuclear bomb and sets it off or strikes him down with fire. I love what it says. It says, the Lord Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth. So kind of like sinner. I love that. I just love it. I picture that. When the enemy is coming against your life, when you're tempted to give in to the devil's lies versus the truth that the Bible says, you just picture Jesus Christ in the end time when he takes a look at the Antichrist and he goes, that's power. Amen? That is the Word of God. The Word that spoke everything into being out of nothing can certainly... Take care of the powers that be. Amen? So there's some cool stuff. There's some reason to trust in the only one who cannot be shaken. Now, one more thing I'd like to say to you before we actually dive into Psalm 103. Yeah, some people are actually shaking their heads. Other people are one more thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like my mom used to say, I don't know if I told you this last time, but one time after I was done preaching, people were like, oh, that was really good, and they're complimenting me and being all nice to me. And my mom looks at me and she goes, all I got to say is you can really talk. <laughs> okay, so one more thing. Mark chapter 4. That's why you were called. Yeah, that's right, see? That's right. God made me this way. I'm a talker. Okay, Mark chapter 4. I believe it's beginning at verse 35. It's a familiar... I, I hate to call them stories. I think I told you guys this before. I don't like to call Bible accounts stories only because too many times children equate that with a fairy tale. So oftentimes you'll hear me say, turn to the historical account of Jesus calming the storm. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a story. This is truth. This is history. And what happened in that, in that account is that Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat and they're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now what I want you to note first is, and you can check me up on it, it's verses 35 through 42. 
Jesus is the one who says go to the other side of the sea. Now Jesus knows a storm is about to whip up. And I want to tell you something. I want this to become very personal for you. I've been going through some storms in my life too. And so many times when a storm whips up in our lives, we're tempted to think, where is God? Okay, He's the one who put your boat out there. He's with you. He's the one who put your boat out there. Okay, we, we let the devil lie to us and we let the devil make us think that if I'm going through hard times and trials, it's because God doesn't care and I'm going to be destroyed. No. I have found as a Christian that the disciplinary rod of Jesus to drive me closer to Him often is the storm on the sea. Because you have troubles and trials does not mean God does not love you. Amen? Don't let the enemy tell you that. I've suffered with a disease for 30 years and I believe in physical healing just like everyone else. I've seen physical healing in my own body. He's chosen not to heal my disease. That does not make me think God does not love me. It makes me know He does love me. He drives me to Himself. Now listen, He put them out on this, told them, get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side of the sea. The storm whips up. You remember how it goes. They get all shaken. Jesus is sleeping on the boat. And here's what I want you to see. The disciples look at Jesus while the storm is raging. And I mean, Bible scholars tell us that a storm on the Sea of Galilee like that could have been deadly. This was a wicked storm. And they were afraid for their lives. So we've got to give them credit for that. But they went and they saw Jesus sleeping. And the Bible says very clearly in every account in the Greek that they called Jesus teacher or rabbi. They went to him and they're like afraid they're going to drown. You know what I mean? And he's sleeping. And they were aggravated. And do we get like that? God, don't you see what's happening in my life here? And you want to you say, what's wrong with them? You know, because, Bria, may I use you for an example? Because, you know, this is me. I don't know that this is exactly what they did, but this is what I'm picturing. Because if it were me, this would be me. Jesus! Don't you care what's going on here? And that's what I picture. You know, he's sleeping in the boat, and they're wanting to get his attention. Teacher! Don't you care that we're drowning? And that's literally what they said. Don't you care we're dying here? And, I mean, these are real people. So I don't think that they just went, excuse me, Jesus, do you, do you care that I'm drowning? No, I, I think they were into it, you know. How many mics do I have? Okay, um, I think they're really into it. They're like, don't you care that we're drowning? And Jesus gets up and he takes care of the whole situation, of course. Because the creator of hydrogen and oxygen molecules can... Control H2O, you know. Okay, he can control the wind and the waves and and the sea because he made it. So, you know, you refer back to Psalm 33. He made it. He can control it. So he takes care of the whole situation. But here's the key. He asked them why they have no faith. And they stepped back after he calmed the sea. And this is what they said. The Bible says very clearly, they now feared him. And they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now that was the point. Before they went out in the storm, they were only going to call him rabbi or teacher. Jesus is not a wonderful moral teacher only. So many people in the world, Jesus was a great prophet. He's a wonderful moral teacher. You know what? You're not saved if that's all you believe. He is God. And He put them on the storm. He put them out on the sea on the storm for them to have to call 
on him for them to have to say, wait a second, he's blowing our paradigm. He's not just a teacher. Who is this guy? Amen? That's why he took them out on the storm. And as you're out in your storm today, I want you to recognize something. God will shake your world till it shook so hard, you can't do anything but grab hold of his shoulders and say, don't you care? And then eventually you will break down and come to see Jesus is more than a teacher. In my first book, I wrote a devotion called uh, Jesus Can't Be Your Example Until He's Your Savior. So many people in the world want to follow Jesus as a moral example. You can't. You're dead in your sins. He's God. You have to know that He's God before anything else. He has to save you and give you new life and the ability to live as you ought to live. Amen? So here's the thing. Whatever the benefit is that you're missing in your life, you're like, Shelly, there are some unstable things, relationships, financial things, emotional things, physical things. You don't know what's going on in my life. I need God to be my benefit provider. Well, sometimes you're out in that storm and those things are happening precisely because God wants to show you, I am. I can do it. I'm the one that needs to get to a place where I resign myself and I truly believe. Amen? Because how many of you have been Christians many, many years and you realize every day how little you believe? Amen? Amen. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, to Psalm 103, is God your benefit provider? I just want to go through a few verses of this. I'm not going to go through the whole psalm. Just the first maybe four or five. Psalm 103, first of all, how many of you have ever read it or known it before? Isn't it a beauty? An absolute beauty. Psalm 103, King David wrote this. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. Look at this. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so great is God's mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're nothing but dust. As for man, his days are as grass, and as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. The wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. His righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep His covenant and remember His commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye His angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments, Hearkening unto the voice of the voice of the Lord, bless ye the Lord, all ye His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
Now, I love this psalm for many reasons, not the least of which is that King David here is talking to himself. How many of you talk to yourself? Okay. Amen? Seriously. Like serious self-talkers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so bad with me that I have been known to hold my own talk show. I am the host and I am the guest. I've done this. And I talk through issues. I'm the host and I'm the guest. So let me talk to you about this. I got it. Okay. So now, now I've told students when I used to teach in school, you know, just to differentiate what is truly a psychological problem and what isn't. We had a good time a couple weeks ago at Norwin Alliance in the contemporary service. I shared a message called Christian Psychology 101. And how many of you know there is something as a Christian psychology? God made the soul. He knows how to deal with the soul. Amen. But you know, I've been thinking psychologically since that time, a lot of things, and, and it is not unhealthy to talk to yourself. Now, if you want biblical evidence for this, sometime you look up Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Okay? God was standing there and he said, let us make man in our own image. Who was he talking to? Himself. Himself. Amen. There you go. First book of the Bible, God talks to himself, I'm in good company. Let us make man in our image. Okay, that sounds good. All right, so we will. So, it was Father, Son, Holy Spirit talking to themselves. So, God talks to himself, so we talk to ourselves. David talked to himself. Now, there are times when you need to talk to yourself. There are times when circumstances will come down in on you and the devil, who is the father of lies, will try to make you think with your emotions and not with the truth. Amen? When the emotions come flooding in, making you think all is hopeless, this is utter chaos, you need to speak the truth to yourself. That's why thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Start memorizing the Scriptures. What little you are able to, do it. Have a Bible nearby and speak truth to yourself. David in Psalm 103 is talking to himself. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who's he talking to? Himself. His, and soul in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word for the, in the Greek, the word for soul is p s c h u, I believe it is e or u, and it's suke in the Greek. It's psyche. He says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." He's talking to his soul. Look, the tendency is going to be not to bless him. The tendency is going to be to look at the storm and not at God. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And there's a time to do that, amen? Even when you don't feel like it. And he says, not just my soul, but all that is within me. Bless His holy name. What is within you this morning? You know, some days there's a lot of energy in us. And some days there's just a bunch of weakness. Some days we've had enough sleep and some days... There's tiredness in us. Some days we are highly encouraged and other days there is nothing but discouragement in us. Some days we're feeling like our brain is working well and other days we're just feeling like there's a bunch of stupidity in us. But you know what David said? Whatever is within me, I'll bless the Lord. Amen? All that is within me, bless the Lord. No excuses. Doesn't matter what's happening, because here's what happens. Here's, here's his. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. I want, I want you to, let's say this together. Forget not all his benefits. Let's say it again. Forget not all his benefits. Listen, the devil is going to try to suck the life out of you. He's, that's what he's going to do. Uh, it, it amazes me. The more people that I see growing, the more people that are learning, uh, I'm trying to, to, to disciple people and teach them. And the minute they start to learn and the minute they start to grow, guess what happens? They say, oh, man, there's a lot of stuff that's coming against me. You know? Yeah. The devil hates you. He doesn't want you growing. He hates your guts and everything about you. But, Don't you forget the benefits of the Lord. Talk to yourself. Forget not all His benefits. Don't focus on the wrong thing. Think about the benefits of God. Because the devil will want you to think about the benefits the world can offer you. Amen? The devil's going to make you think, if I could have a bigger house or a newer car, I would feel better. The devil's going to make you think, if I could just have a different family that's not dysfunctional, okay? If I could have a different job, if my boss would just give me a raise, if I could just get my blood sugar under better control, if God would, if this, if that, then blah, 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 blah. No. No. Forget not the benefits of the Lord. That's the only benefit you need. I don't care if you live in a house this big or a mansion. The only benefit you need are God's benefits. I don't care if your family is the best family in the world or it's a total wreck. The only benefits you need are God's benefits. Okay? Listen. Forget not all His benefits. Now, we're going to go over just a few here. The first one and the most important benefit that we get from God, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Forgiveth all thine iniquities. Now, let's not take this for granted. Psalm 32 says, Psalm 32 beginning at verse 1, How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the one to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. How many of you know that you can be sick in your soul and then actually sick in your body with unconfessed sin? Okay? But David said, I confessed my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You read the Psalms and David, when he struggled with his own sinfulness, he would have heart palpitations, headaches. Now, definitely all those things don't come from sin, but what I'm telling you is sin is so nasty and so ingrained, it will destroy you. It will eat you alive. Unconfessed sin. The greatest blessing that any of us has is God forgives all of our iniquities. All we got to do is confess them. Say it out loud. Talk to God, big or small, no matter how great and grievous you think it is or how tiny it is, you've got to give it to Jesus. I want to tell you a little story. One time when uh, my brother John will remember this, hopefully, but one time my mom took my brothers and I to 
Well, now it's Target, but this was so long ago. How many of you remember when Target was Ames? Anybody remember when Ames was Murphy Mart? That's how far back we're going now. Now, I'm only 29 years old, but my mom took us back when it was Murphy Mart. And she each let us each get a little toy or something. And we got in line at Murphy Mart to pay for our toys, my brothers and I. And I will never forget this. I know God let this happen. I'm standing there in line, and there were only two people in front of me. Okay? The first person in the line was this young boy. I don't know how old he was, but he was just a boy. And his hair was unkempt, and his face was dirty. He had on a holy, dirty T-shirt and holy, ripped-up jeans. He looked very poor. And behind him, there was an older lady leaning on a cane. And I will never forget this. That boy put a pack of bubblicious bubblegum up on the register, okay? Now, the teenage girl at that time, now this was back when, what I, when I grew up, I wanted to be a cashier. But the reason was, I did, for many years, but the reason was the sound of the cash registers. How many of you remember? I just thought it was so cool. All oh, those noises. You know, I was trying to imitate them, make them uh, other things. I wanted to be a cashier. So this, there was a teenage cashier up there, and she was on the old-fashioned register. She was chawing on gum, and this, this woman seemed just like totally heartless. So the guy, the little boy, puts up the bubblicious bubble gum, and the cashier, she's chawing on her gum. <laughs> That'll be 20 cents or whatever the cost of the gum was at the time, okay? And the little boy, I kid you not, he started digging through his holy jeans. His dirty face. He's digging through, trying to get some. The kid put up two pennies. Okay? The cashier looked at the two pennies. She looked him in the face. She kept chawing on her gum and she said, sorry, that's not going to be enough. And I thought the little boy was going to burst into tears. But right before he did, the old lady leaned off her cane, pulled out the ugliest paisley pocketbook you ever want to see. <laughs> snapped it open, pulled out a brand new crisp $1 bill. I'll never forget this. Brand new, you know. She laid that dollar bill on top of those two pennies. She looked the cashier in the eye and she said, this ought to just about cover it. (laughs) And that little boy took that. He looked back at her. He took that bubblicious gum and he ran out of the store with the biggest smile on his face. And I believe the Lord let me see that for this purpose. I want to tell you something. You and I are standing in the line of life. You may think you're something and you're nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing to offer God. We don't have what it takes to buy our forgiveness, our peace, our joy, our hope. Nothing. And the devil looks you in the face and he says to you, sorry, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You failed. There's no hope for you. It's over. And just about the time you're ready to give up, you look back and there is Jesus. And he's standing there, not with a $1 bill, but a nail-scarred hand. And he puts that nail-scarred hand down over whatever you're trying to do and he looks the devil square in the eye and says, this ought to just about cover it. Amen. Amen. And we walk away free. I don't care what your sin is in here this morning. If it's an habitual sin, it's a sin you've struggled with for years. If it's something big, if it's something small, He forgiveth all thine iniquities. The next benefit is He healeth all thy diseases. 
Now, I don't know how many of you struggle with physical illness like me. I can't wait. I can't wait to be healed of my diabetes. But I've got to tell you something very critical here. If you turn in your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Another famous chapter. It's a messianic chapter. It's talking about Jesus here. Isaiah chapter 53. Now, we're going to focus on verse 5, and I don't know what version of the Bible you have here. I originally memorized Isaiah 53 in the King James Version, and right around verse 4 it says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So, He bore my griefs and carried my sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, He was doing it for us, but we looked at Him and said, God, what are you doing to Him? But He was really doing it for us. And then verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds, or His stripes, we are healed. Now, it's a very sobering moment, and I, and I pray to God, oh, my dearest friends, my family know how seriously I take sharing the Word of God. I never want to present anything false to you. It's a very sobering moment. I want you to understand something. When Jesus died on the cross, He died to heal us. But physical healing really means nothing at all until your soul is healed got to understand that. Because if God were to physically heal somebody here on this earth and their soul was still sick, they'd still die and they'd still be lost forever. The healing we need most of all is the healing of our soul. Amen? Now, you don't have to turn there now, but if you'd write down the reference, 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24 says, about Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Now, in that context, when Peter says that in context in the New Testament, he is not referring primarily to physical healing right there in that instance. He's referring to spiritual healing. Listen to what it said. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that I might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds I have been healed. Listen, Shelley Prindle on her own is a dirty, rotten, selfish jerk. I could never be anything but. Amen? Except for Jesus. Jesus saved me. Jesus made me into a new creation. We are sinners by nature and we need healing for our soul. Now, I'm going to give you a bigger picture. You wonder why so often in the Bible, in the New Testament, why is physical healing so often related to the forgiveness of sins? And people get all worked up about that. I've had people literally lay hands on me 15 years ago. I had a gentleman who believed that everyone that really believes should be healed. He laid hands on me and prayed for me. And he bawled and cried when I wasn't healed because his faith was shook by that. Listen, 
Physical and spiritual healing are tied closely together because the only people who will be in the home of righteousness are people who love righteousness. I'm going to make a profound statement again. Do you know in 2 Peter chapter 3, heaven is described as a home of righteousness. If I say, how many of you want to go to heaven instead of hell, how many of you think would raise their hands? I want to go to heaven. Why do you want to go to heaven? Because it's good. Why is it good? Because it's right. Why is it right? Because everything works right. Really? Your body works right. The earth's going to work right. Relationships are going to work right. Your brain's going to work right. Everything's right. It's a home of righteousness. But this is what gets me. Why do people think they would belong in a home of righteousness if they want nothing to do with righteousness on earth? The healing you need is the healing to crave righteousness. Amen? So that you sit in that place. Romans 8.22 says this. Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth, longing to be remade. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the Holy Spirit in us, we wait eagerly. For our adoption as sons, comma, the redemption of our bodies. Do you know we are saved in one sense, but we're not, we haven't received our full salvation yet? Amen? How many are saying, thank you God, this isn't just the end? Okay? Yeah, because the ultimate adoption as a son or daughter of God that you're going to get is the redemption of your body. Can you get excited about that this morning? I don't care if you're young or you're old. You're trapped in a body that tends to sin, that tends to get tired, that tends to get on our nerves. Amen? And that is dying and fading. Amen? I love that your church is near a cemetery. I love it. You remember what I said last time? We pulled in, I'm like... Man, I want to be here when Jesus comes back. I had a dear friend. We talk about the redemption of the body. She said, I went to my mother's graveside. Her mother died about a year ago. She says, Shelly, I kid you not, I put flowers on her grave. She said, I don't even know why I do that, but I put flowers on her grave. Then she said, I laid myself down on my back, laid myself down in the graveyard, just laid flat on my back and looked up at the sky and said, Jesus, could you come back right now? This would be so cool. Okay. Your ultimate hope is the redemption of your body. It's time we start telling our young people it's a full package here. We talk about Jesus. You know, let Jesus come into your heart and then nothing changes. Jesus comes into your heart, makes you a brand new creation. You get excited about doing the right thing. You get excited about God. You start loving people. You start doing wonderful things. You start having hope. And then one day you're going to die. They'll put you in the grave. The worms will start to eat you till Jesus comes back, takes the dust He made you out of, and breathes life back into it again. Amen? Now, I'm spitting. Look out. And I'm coming down the aisles. I do have a cold. Look out. Okay. I can't help one again. Listen. I get so excited. When I taught that Christian psychology message, listen, do you know where the soul's origin is? It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Because the Bible says in Genesis that God picked up the dust of the ground and He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, the soul. Okay? God made people. He picked up dust and He breathed the soul into it. Now, when you die, if Jesus hasn't come back yet and they put you in the ground, your soul immediately goes back to be with the Lord who gave it to you. Amen? 
Now, temporarily, that dust that he picked up, that he had, see, God had already made the dust before he picked it up and breathed life into it. So that dust is just going to temporarily go back into the ground. But it's coming out again. Amen? Because they'll pick it up the second time. And that's the hope we need to tell people. People ask me, I do, a, I do an event called the Heaven Event, a three-hour session on teaching because it drives me, on heaven, because it drives me crazy. Will we know each other in heaven? Are we going to have fun in heaven or is it going to be boring? You know, come on, people. You think heaven's going to be less than earth? It's going to be infinitely greater. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. He forgiveth all that iniquities. He healeth all that diseases. Sometimes He heals here, but i got something to tell you. There is not a person who is saved who will not receive complete and total and eternal and forever healing. I remember writing a devotion. It's in one of my books. I was on a trampoline with my nephews, and this was about three or four years ago. And as I was jumping in that trampoline up and down, and I felt like I was flying through the air, I I said, I can't wait for heaven when everybody will run and leap and jump. Amen? Amen. Who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, and some versions say redeemeth thy life from the pit. Remember when Daniel was in the pit? Remember when he got thrown into the lion's den? You can read about it in Daniel chapter 6. Listen, I posted the other day on Facebook, God didn't take Daniel right out of the pit, did he? He went down there with them. Amen? Now listen, he redeemeth your life from the pit or from destruction. Daniel went into the lion's den because he loved the Lord and he wouldn't give up. And he believed that God would take care of him. But what I love about the story of Daniel and the lions then is that when King Darius called down to him, which goes to show you Darius must have believed a little bit that God could save him because he got up in the morning and he called down to him. And when he called down to Daniel in the pit and said, are you okay? Here's what Daniel said. Daniel didn't say, oh yeah, I'm fine because you know God never let me hit the bottom of the pit anyway. He just took me right out. Is that what he said? No. He didn't say, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm fine because God took all the lions out. He just left me down here. No. He said, my God sent his angel, and the angel shut the mouths of the lions. Now, this is deep. Stay with me. You're in the pit. God hasn't taken you out. Nor has he taken the lions away. What? Don't you love me, God? That was an Old Testament Christophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus went into the pit and took the lion by the mouth and grabbed it and shut it. The intersection of heaven and earth. Amen? You may be in the pit, but God's bringing you out. He's in there with you right now. And it was all for His glory. The whole purpose of that was that Darius then proclaimed, God is the God of heaven and earth. And, and Daniel 6.27 says, He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. You call on your God. He works on earth. He does real things here. Now, the last benefit I want to emphasize. He forgiveth all thy iniquities. He healeth all thy diseases. He redeemeth thy life from destruction. He crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now, I want to end with this benefit. In some versions, and this is the version I preferred, and I believe it's the ESV, says, He crowneth thee with steadfast love. 
How many of you know there's not a human being on the face of the earth, and I don't care how much you love them and how great they are, there is nobody. Don't be swooned, young people. Don't think when you first become infatuated with somebody, it's true. It's not true of anybody. There is nobody who is going to love you with a steadfast love, except for God. Everyone will fail you and let you down. Not even necessarily because they want to, but because they're humans and they fail. He crowneth thee with steadfast love. When Jesus died on the cross, what did they do to his head? They put a what? A crown. It's not ironic. They crowned him. A crown of thorns dug into his head, but around this area of the brain of thinking, the decision-making, the will of the mind. Jesus took a crown of thorns so that you could wear a crown of steadfast love. He absorbed the shame and the pain we should bear for our sin and the separation we should have from God. He took it so that we never have to be separated from God. Amen? Your sins don't have to keep you away from God. God loves you with a steadfast love. He took the crown of thorns so that you could have the crown of hope on your head so you can have peace in your mind now one other place that I want to point out where steadfast love is mentioned and if you could bring the powerpoint up for me I want to show you a couple pictures Psalm 36 and, and actually if you would turn there with me Psalm chapter 36 we're going to talk about God's steadfast love Psalm 36 beginning at verse 5 Psalm 36, beginning at verse 5. I believe I know it in the ESV. Your steadfast love, O God, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of man take refuge. What does it say in your version? In the shadow of your wings. I was so touched by that phrase in the Old Testament. I went to the New to see if it is corroborated in the New Testament, and it is in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. Jesus stood at the town of Jerusalem in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. This is what Jesus said. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under its wings. Now listen. When I realized that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, likened Himself to a hen, I thought, there must be something to these hens. I mean, I'm not a farm girl. I'm a Lego girl, a calculus girl. I'm not, I'm not on the farm scene. But there must be something to hens if Jesus was willing to say, I'm like a hen. And so I started studying hens. I went to a website where people have given their whole lives to the study of hens. Wow, it was really something. Okay? Whole lives to the study of hens. And I found out all this information, but I just want to share with you a few pictures, a few visuals. This is not just God in the Old Testament saying you can take refuge in His steadfast love under the shadow of His wings. This is Jesus saying, I would love to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under its wings. Just look at that hen. See how she has her little chicks under her wings and just look at her face and her beak I'm just telling you one thing what she's saying right now don't mess with my baby 
I think you're going to get pecked to death or something bad is going to happen if you try to touch that little chick, okay? So, let me turn this on. We have that picture. Then we have, oh, look at this one. Now, she's even more so. She's like, go ahead, try to mess with my baby. Look at the, and look at the little, now how many of you can visualize yourself as that chick? Now, I want you to understand something. When you look at this picture, this is Bible stuff. Jesus said this. He said, I want to gather you together as a hen gathers its, its brood under her wings. Now, what I learned about these hens is they'll do anything. I mean, they'll go after dogs. They'll go after wolves. They'll give their own lives. But they're going to protect those little chicks. Amen? Now, look at this picture. Oh, before I... Let me take it. How many feet does a hen have? Yeah, yeah. You like this? A, a hen has two feet. Now look at this. <laughs> I love that. A hen only has two feet. No, a hen has, you know, 68 feet, apparently. Now it just amazes me that she can hide that many chicks underneath herself. But I'm going to tell you what. And I'm not saying this in a, in a, in a coarse way. I mean this in a serious way. Come hell itself. Or high water. Jesus has you. Amen? Come hell itself or high water. Jesus has you under the shadow of his wing. You do not walk alone. He said, I want you to have my steadfast love and my protection. And I want you to take this last picture. Look at this one. Now there's one brave soul coming out the front there. There's like 58 other feet. But they're all going down the street. They are walking through life. And they are safe because Mama Hen has them covered. Amen? Listen. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. He healeth all. He forgives your iniquities now and gives you peace with Him here. He's given you a brand new heaven and a new earth and a new body to enjoy forever. He's got you covered. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. He healeth all thy diseases. He redeemeth thy life from destruction. He crowneth thee with loving kindness. Amen? steadfast love and tender mercy. And I don't know what, you know, she's actually walking on pavement here. It's hard to tell on that PowerPoint slide. Going down a road. I don't know what road you're going to walk out of here and walk on to. But I want to tell you something. God is your benefit provider. Ain't nothing can shake Him. Walk under the shadow of His wings. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I just praise You and I thank You for Your goodness. I just praise You and I thank You for Your Word, which is true, which is real. Lord, I thank You for the things You have spoken to us today. And I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ, if we need to call upon You for Your benefits, and maybe first of all what we need to do is call upon You to know that You are the unshakable God. That there is nothing else that we can depend on except for you and you alone. One day you will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. But we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And God, if there's anyone who needs to come to you in that sense this morning, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would. Anyone who needs to know that you forgive all our iniquities, that Jesus died on the cross to cover every sin. Anyone, Father, who needs physical healing in their body. They need the hope of a true heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. 
God, anyone here this morning who needs to know that they are crowned with steadfast love, that they can walk down the road and you are with them, Lord, I pray, put it into our hearts today.